We're picking up in our series in John chapter 13. And so if you want to flip a few pages over to page 900, if you're following along in those black ESV Bibles, we're on page 900, uh, give or take one or two pages. I don't have the exact same copy, but it's always pretty close. And so if you get to 900, you'll be able to find it relatively close. John chapter 13, uh, verses 1 through 11. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I am doing to you, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to them, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus responded, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter then said, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but it is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. Last night, to give an example of the point I want to make, last night, we, my family and I, we were at a wedding. And there were a few moments amongst, uh, uh, that was in the wedding one in particular, when the dancing had come, and let me just let me just side note real fast. Um, it was, this was not a New Hope wedding, um, and because it was not a New Hope wedding, you all know how to have fun a little bit more than anybody else I've ever met. But yet there was still some dancing. But you all should have been there. Uh, but anyways, it was still fun, and we were dancing. And I, there was a point where I looked out, and my wife and my children were dancing, and I just had this moment of just kind of being able to look on the outside and just be kind of not overwhelmed, but just really be able to reflect on the reality that I am so blessed and that I love my family so much. I thought about it again later on. This was an outside wedding, which, believe it or not, we avoided all rain throughout the wedding yesterday. And at an outside wedding, and there was this bonfire, and there's, once again, this moment where I'm just sitting there at the bonfire watching my kids play, and just being, just the thought of going, I love them so very much. Parents, you understand this. We love our children um, a lot, and there's so many things that we do for our children that they don't know. I, I can't tell you how many times as an, as an adult and as a parent where I went back and had conversations with my parents of going, I'm so Sorry, I, I didn't understand. I didn't understand what I was doing to you, and I didn't understand how much you loved me. But now, as a parent, seeing what you did for me and the sacrifices that you made for me, I am so grateful for your love and for your care. It's in this line of thought that we see Jesus here in John 13. Read with me again in verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world. Now, 
Let me pause for a second. We haven't talked about this in the study of John, but one of the important literature aspects of the Gospel of John is if you go back, I challenge you maybe to do so, go back starting in John chapter 1 and pay attention how often the phrase of the hour not being coming yet or not being ready or the hour has not come, how many times that phrase happens. But here we finally get to it in verse or chapter 13 where Jesus says, knowing the hour had come. It was a literary technique that John used all throughout almost every chapter as he writes through narratives with from John chapter 1 all the way up to John chapter 13, which is this swing moment in the Gospel of John where John 1 through 12 is all of Jesus' ministry prior to the last week of his ministry. John 13 and following is all pretty much the last week of Jesus' ministry. And it, John shows this idea that everything in John was leading up to this last week by saying, the hour has not come, the hour has not come, the hour has not come. But here in chapter 13, he says, the hour has come. Referring to that all of Jesus' life was pointing to this very moment. So Jesus knew that his hour had come um, to depart out of this world to the Father. And listen to this. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. If you have an outline, and I hope you do, I want to encourage you just kind of truth number one as we look at this text, is that Jesus loved his disciples so much, he lowered himself to wash their feet. It's easy for us to read quick narratives like this and to really not see and feel all that is happening. And so what I want to do, I want to kind of paint a picture potentially of maybe what Jesus was going through in this moment. When it says that his time had come to an end, he knew it was his time to depart. What was the thought and the emotion that crossed his mind? Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I imagine Jesus was eating this dinner with his disciples, and this was the same dinner where he institutes the Lord's Supper. We will take the Lord's Supper together next week, as it is our tradition, the second Sunday of every month. And when he instituted Lord's Supper, it was at this dinner. So imagine the disciples are gathering together for a feast. Now, the Passover was a very symbolic and very important tradition that all had all these different rituals and meals, a part of it, but it was also a party. We understand that they were in the upper room, that they went and rented out a space. And it was very likely that the people on the first floor, which was common in uh, the first century and how buildings were made, was that you had the upper room, which was kind of like the big party hall. And then downstairs, you had the kitchen and you had the workers. And because it was not their home, it was a space they had rented. It's very likely that they were upstairs partying while people were preparing the food and the meal and bringing it all together. This was a special moment. The disciples didn't fully realize it, but it was a go-away party, if you will. Now, it was much more than that. We understand it was the feast of the Passover. But Jesus is here with his disciples eating this important meal, and I'm watching them laugh and joke. 
Imagine you went on mission trip with someone for three years. We went to Guatemala a few years ago, and while we were in Guatemala, we had a couple of people eat some fish eyes. I thought that was so strange. What were they thinking? But Param, you did it, right, Param? Yeah, Param did. This guy right here, right here, uh, is eating fish eyes, right? And Sam Green are eating fish eyes. I was hanging out with someone from that trip this week, and we, that story came up. Why do I tell you that? We went on a trip three years ago for one week. Imagine you're with a group of people for three years. Imagine the stories that are being told around dinner that night. Imagine the laughter. Imagine going when Peter, well, probably from what we can tell, they're probably making fun of Peter. Hey, Peter, remember when you said that thing really dumb? Because you said a lot of things really dumb. And Peter did. If you go read the Gospels, he put his foot in his mouth quite a bit. Imagine they're messing with one another and joking with one another. And Jesus just looks out like I did last night and saw my family and was just captivated by how much I cared for my family. Imagine Jesus looks out at this meal and he sees the disciples laughing and joking and they have no idea what's about to happen. But he is overwhelmed by love. I begin to think about when Jesus thinks about not just in this moment, but imagine what brought them to this moment. And Jesus possibly reflected back on the first time that he called these disciples to himself. He probably thought about the moment in Luke where uh, Peter and the other disciples were together and they were really bad fishermen. Actually, they were probably really good fishermen, but every time in Scripture they don't catch anything, but they were at least good enough that they were professionals. But in this particular story, they had caught nothing and they'd been out fishing all night. And Jesus walks along the side and he says, Hey guys, how did the night go? And like, it was awful. And Jesus says, hey, why don't you just fish a little bit more, a little bit longer. Why don't you just throw the net to the other side? And remember, Peter's the professional fisherman, and he's just a rabbi to Peter at this time. He's like, what do you know? But he listens to Jesus, and he throws the net to the other side. Scripture says that they hauled in so much that the, the boat almost began to sink. Imagine Jesus was thinking about that moment where then Peter gets down and bows to him and worships Jesus. Maybe I think about or maybe Jesus was thinking about the moment the disciples freaked out when Jesus was in a house teaching and all of a sudden the roof began to move and the roof began to open. And then all of a sudden there was this person who was just dropped through the ceiling. I mean, I don't know what we would do right now if that were to begin to happen in this room. Like there would just be this moment where all of you would look up and then you would look at me because you're just like, Jonathan, you're in charge. What do you, what's, I'm going to be like, I'm just going to look back at y'all going, I don't know. You know, get out of the way, I guess. I don't, I don't know what to tell you. But imagine they saw it happen and they looked to Jesus and Jesus was calm. And here comes this person and they watch Jesus heal this man and he walks out the front door. Maybe Jesus was thinking about the time when the disciples in Mark chapter 4 were on a boat and they were, thought they were going to die. And they're like panicking and they're freaking out and Jesus is asleep in the boat and the disciples come to him and say, do you not love us? Do you not care about us? Are you not worried that we're going to die? And Jesus just speaks and everything calms. And he says, don't you have faith? I imagine right after that in Mark chapter 5, they get to the other side and they encounter the legion demon. Scripture describes him the best way I can illustrate it simply as the Hulk. Literally, nobody can control him or anything, and he comes running at Jesus. And you got this man with, who is so strong that Scripture in Mark chapter 5 says that, that he was bound with chains and he would just snap him because he was so strong. They get off the boat. They just got done that night before, about to die in a storm. Jesus calms the storm. Then they get to the other side. Then they see this Hulk man running at them. And I imagine the panic that was on their face. 
the guy bows and surrenders to Jesus right there in the moment. I imagine Jesus is thinking about these stories as he looks out and just the memories, knowing that the end was about to come. You know, you all know that my father passed away over the summer, and one of the things about that week is we sat around telling stories for hours. Remember when, remember when, remember when, remember when. Imagine Jesus is thinking about those stories right here in this moment. Disciples were amazed at all the healings that Jesus has saw, saw them do, and Jesus is thinking back of all how they've grown and learned. He's probably even thinking about Peter. He used to say really dumb stuff and is about to say something else really dumb in just a moment. But Peter, in his passion for the Lord, would often kind of get himself into trouble, but Jesus still looks at Peter and loves him. Scripture even says that he understood that Judas Iscariot was about to betray him, but yet he still looked on with Judas Iscariot and decided to wash Judas's feet as well. Imagine the love that Jesus had and felt in this moment. That's what scripture says. So when the scriptures say that having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them through and through. And in this moment, he was so compelled by love. Scripture just says he rose from supper. He rose from supper. He took out or he, excuse me, he took off his outer garments, which was the nicer garments, because he was about to crawl in the dirt. He was about to get down in the ground, and he was about to wash his disciples' feet. So imagine, flip the perspective for a second. You're all hanging out, you're talking, all of a sudden you see Jesus, you see the master, the head of the table, rise in this moment. It catches your attention. You're like, what is he doing? He, watched, he walks over to the wash basin, and he grabs it, and he fills it. And he comes over to whoever was first. Scripture didn't tell us who was first. But we understand that it was tradition for them to sit based off their age around the table. So it's likely that the, the apostle John was sitting next to him. So it's possible he went to the youngest first. Or maybe he started on the other side and went to the oldest first. But he went and just began to wash feet. Now Peter, because we only see the perspective of Peter in the stories watching this. And I don't know exactly what Peter was thinking, but it was somewhat in humility that Peter was going, Jesus, you're not going to wash my feet. I'm unworthy for you to wash my feet. I'm sure Peter's going, I should be washing your feet. So Jesus comes to him, and he's got to make a decision. And what happens? We see that Jesus begins to have a conversation, and, and Peter's like, you're going to wash my feet? And Jesus says, yes, I'm going to wash your feet. You don't understand what I'm doing right now, but you will. You don't understand it yet, but you will. And Peter goes, no, you're not going to wash my feet. I I'm unworthy. I can't do this. And then Jesus says to him, but if I don't wash your feet, you have no, you can't participate with me. And I think he understood that Jesus was referring to something bigger here. Because then he says, why don't you just wash everything then? Wash my hair, wash my face, wash my head, wash me all. Because he understood of what Jesus was saying the importance of what it meant to be clean, to be with Jesus. And if Jesus is saying, if I do not wash you clean, you cannot be with me. And well, Peter's beginning to put the theological pieces together and he's going, well, just, just wash all of me. And then Jesus simply responds, you don't need to be washed fully because you've already been made clean. You're clean. Let me just wash your feet. It's a beautiful picture here that we'll begin to unpack a little bit. But here's kind of the, how I've titled today's uh, sermon is that love compels us to humble sacrifice. I don't know if I worded it exactly like that, but that's essentially it. That we are compelled by love to humble service and sacrifice. 
We begin to think about applications of what we just see as we just watch Jesus play out. It's not that difficult to comprehend, so we don't need like a 10-point sermon to unpack this truth. But in fact, verse 12, which I won't have on the screen, so let me encourage you to look at your Bibles in front of you, begins to unpack the practical application for you and I. Verse 12 says this, when he had washed their feet and put on their outer garments, or when he had put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so am I. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should, should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you, for I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled, and he goes on to talk about Judas betraying him. When we begin to think about what we can learn from this text and applications from this text, there is a practical call for us to see the humble sacrifice that Jesus gives towards his disciples. And for us to go, hey, if we are walking and recognize that we are not greater than the master, his whole statement that you as servants are not greater than the master and messengers are not greater than the master, meaning if the master is going to serve others, you too, likewise, as messengers and servants, serve others. And so let us see the practical application that very much so that we should love and serve one another. You know, sometimes it's hard for us because we can be selfish human beings. But we are called to do the least of these and least things that others are not wanting and willing to do. Because we as Christians, when we do that, we are modeling love in a powerful way. We have an opportunity when we love others like this to have the reaction that potentially that Peter had. Why are you washing my feet? And in that confusion, it opened a conversation that allowed Jesus to give theological truth about what he was here to do, which was to cleanse we understand Peter understood that, to which he said, wash all of me. And then through our service, we have an opportunity to display the love of Jesus. It talks about the importance of even hospitality and caring for others, the importance of humility, importance of serving those that we lead and care for. It's a display of our value of radical hospitality, how do we generously share our lives and resources with others, how we give unto others. But there's a question or a statement in this text that raises a question that I think is also pointing to even something greater. When he, Jesus makes this statement, let me go to verse 6. So John 13, 6. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, you, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. That statement has perplexed me as I've been preparing for the sermon because washing the feet is actually pretty easy to comprehend, yes? Well, what was confusing that Peter didn't fully understand? And Jesus says, later you will understand. Was it simply his explanation in verses 12 and following? Possibly. But it was the dialogue that Peter has with Jesus that makes me go, I think he's referring to something greater. I think he's referring to something more. Because the dialogue goes into this, clean, this cleansing that is necessary to partake with Jesus. And this week, as I was meditating on that, the Lord just gave me a, a similar illustration and imagery that I think this text gives about Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And like at dinner with his disciples, I saw Jesus in heaven in his glory, looking down at his creation, and he loved them so much that he was overwhelmed by his love. 
Let me illustrate it this way. In the same way that we just talked about how Jesus was at dinner and he was looking at his disciples and he was looking at them eating and he was thinking about the first time he encouraged them to throw the nets to the other side and this moment where Peter in great faith said, Jesus, I'll walk on water with you and then he gets out there and then he gets scared and then he falls and this moment where Jesus loves him and just pulls him to safety and we have these moments where Jesus was probably looking back at memories and seeing what was happening. And out of those memories and out of the love for his disciples, it compelled him to rise to his feet and go and serve them in great humility. I picture Jesus in heaven looking into the past. And he saw his creation and he saw Adam and Eve and the beautiful plan he had for humankind. But then Adam and Eve sinned. And because of that, there was brokenness that came into this world. Jesus saw that brokenness maybe in this moment. He saw the first murder when Cain killed his brother Abel just because he was jealous of him because of the worship that he brought to God. And I picture Jesus in heaven and he saw the flood of Noah that judged the sin of the world. And he saw Noah's faithfulness to continue on the human race even in his own sin within his family. I imagine Jesus was in heaven and he saw Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in a covenant that he had made with them. In the same way that Jesus was at dinner looking at his disciples, thinking about the memories that compelled his love, Jesus was in heaven looking down and he saw his people in captivity and Moses whom he sent to set them free. I saw that he was probably thinking back through that and he saw the wilderness journey and how he provided for them and how he saw Moses on Mount Sinai and the Ten Commandments. He saw Joshua leading Israel across the Jordan to conquer the land God had given them. He saw the judges who then led the nation with, of Israel in the promised land and tried to encourage this young nation to be faithful. Imagine Jesus was in heaven and he saw David as a little shepherd boy and then later on David as an older, conquering, wise king. He saw Solomon in all his splendor. He saw the other kings that followed after David and Solomon he saw the prophets in the Old Testament who spoke. He imagined that he saw Elijah there in faith calling down fire from heaven. Imagine he saw the destruction of the people when they went into exile. Imagine that he saw Daniel in the lion's den and the faith that Daniel showed for his faithfulness. Imagine he saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Imagine he saw all be destroyed. But then I imagine he saw the people of God beginning to come back together to form a covenant. Imagine in this moment that Jesus was in heaven and not only did he look to the past, but imagine in this moment Jesus was in heaven and he saw the future. Imagine that Jesus saw into the 20th and 21st century and he saw you and me. He saw us here in New York City and he saw our struggles. He saw our pain, he saw our sickness. He saw the abuse and the hurt that many of us have endured. He saw our need for a savior. He saw you. And in the same way that Jesus, at dinner, looking out and seeing and compelled by love for his disciples, he rose to his feet, he took off the outer garments, and he took on a towel and wrapped it around him to go like an apron and wash his disciples' feet. I imagine Jesus in this moment, where from the beginning of time, knew that he would die for our sins, but there was a moment where he had to look down, see all that was going on, and he says, now is the time. And I think of Philippians chapter 2, that Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. 
Paul is describing the very thing that happened in John 13, but from eternity. There's this moment where Jesus was looking in love towards you, both the past and to the future. And in his foreknowledge and in his complete knowledge, he looked upon his people and in love. And he said, no more will they continue to suffer in their sin, but I will stand up from this moment. And I will not just, like at dinner with his disciples, take off his apron, but I will take off my glory. And by taking on the form of a servant, this is John 1.14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Do you see what happened in that moment? For Jesus to take on flesh and dwell amongst us, he had to empty himself of his glory. There was this picture of him taking off his majesty, not his divinity, but he took off this moment where he was in the heavens to say, I so love you, I will lower myself and come to you. This is exactly the story of John 1.14. So this week as I was watching what Jesus did by being compelled by love towards his disciples, I couldn't couldn't help but to think about what he did in his love towards me. That he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Paul is saying in Philippians, this is the greatest act of humility ever, that God took on flesh. We sit here and read John 13 and think Jesus was a humble person. No, 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 yes, but that's not the greatest act of humility. The greatest act of humility was not Jesus washing their feet, but it was Jesus taking off his glory and taking on the likeness of men. But not just taking on that form. He didn't just take off his outer garment when he washed his disciples' feet, but then he got on his knees and washed their feet. He didn't just take off his glory and then put on the likeness of men, but then he was humble to the point of obedient death, even death on a cross. As if Paul to say death was enough, but he took the worst form of death. The worst form of death known at that time to death on a cross. Therefore... God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Concluding truth number two, and this is fast, is simply this. Not only did Jesus love his disciples so much he lowered himself to wash their feet, but Jesus loved you so much he lowered himself to wash you clean. This is the greater statement when Jesus says, I'm doing something that you don't yet understand, but you will. You'll understand it. And notice what Peter says. You will not wash my feet. That was his response. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, then you have no participation with me. If you're filling in kind of the bullet points under that, what Jesus is saying is that you need salvation, the necessity of salvation and Jesus. He's saying, hey, Peter, you want to be with me? you got to let me wash your feet because you need to be clean. Peter understood this. Why do you think Peter responded by going, oh, well, then just wash all of me. Forget just my feet, like, like, like just my head, my hair. I don't know how that was going to work in that moment, but Peter was like, I don't care. If I need to be clean to be with you, then so be it. He understood that Jesus' statement was the necessity of salvation. But then Jesus responds going, hey, you're already clean. I just let me, I just need to wash your feet. What was Jesus then saying in that moment? The sufficiency of salvation in Jesus. He was, through this illustration, he was pointing out to Peter, you need me to clean you. And then Peter goes, okay, then clean me. And Jesus is saying, you're already clean. You don't need to be cleaned again. Now, understanding the washing of 
Peter's feet. In no way does Scripture say that's what saved him. It was illustrative of this reality that you and I need salvation in Jesus, and Jesus cleanses us sufficiently. We don't need any other cleansing. This is the beauty of the gospel, and I want us to see that John chapter 13 is a story where Jesus humbles himself to wash their feet, but it's really this megaphone picture of what Jesus has done with his life, that Jesus loves you so much that he emptied himself of his glory. He took on flesh. He took on the form of a servant because you need salvation and because he understood that he was the only one who could sufficiently save you. He came and gave his life so that you could be made clean. Do you see the beauty of the good news of Jesus? Would you see that Jesus loves you so much that he loves you to the end? I love that statement. He loved his disciples to the end. His love did not fall short. In moments, the night right after this, he's going to go and pray because he knows he's about to go to the cross. And he cries out and says, God, if there's any other way, could you take this cup from me? Is there any other way, but not my will, but your will be done? Because he understood that he had to follow through with it. What do you think caused him to follow through with it? Because, I mean, if it's just a matter of showing his power, he could have called angels down from heaven. He didn't need to die to show his power. But he needed to die to redeem you. And why did he want to do that? Because he loved you. I want us to see that Jesus loves us so very much. And Jesus loves you so very much. Imagine you're Peter. Jesus shows up at the water basin here to wash your feet. And you're so overcome by the fact that you're God. I'm not. Why are you washing my feet? I am unworthy. Remember, John the Baptist says that I was unworthy to even touch the feet of Jesus. John the Baptist recognized that I can't touch your feet, Jesus. I can't wash your feet, much less you wash my feet. And Peter understood that, and Peter was so overcome that he tried because he couldn't receive it. And I, I wonder if you in here today could see that Jesus loves you so much, and might you be able to receive that love? Might you, like Peter, see the magnitude of what Jesus was doing in this moment? Might you see that the story of Scripture is that Jesus took on flesh, emptied himself, took on flesh to not just wash your feet figuratively and physically and literally, but to actually cleanse your entire life for all eternity. That if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, we understand the necessity, the need of salvation, and then we can trust in the sufficiency. That means when Jesus cleanses you, it's good. Once and for all, your sins are forgiven. Might we see the love of Jesus powerfully in this room today? Might you see that he came to you? Let's pray. God, we thank you. I mean, truthfully, I'm overcome by this reality. I'm unworthy. God, I'm unworthy of your love. I have not earned it and I have not deserved it. But there's nothing that would keep you from coming after us. To the point that Philippians 2 says, you emptied yourself of your glory. Not your divinity, you're still God. But you stepped off your throne. And you took on flesh. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus, you took on that flesh. 
but you didn't just live amongst us. That enough would have been a sufficient act of humility, but you went further. You lived amongst us, and then you even died by our hands. You went to the cross. You allowed your feet and your nails to be pinned to that cross in agony and pain. All to say, Jonathan, I love you. New Hope, I love you. I love you. And not only do I love you, but I will do this because it's necessary because you need that salvation to be redeemed back unto me. And so Jesus, I pray for everybody in here that we would see our need, that we are unworthy to be with you and that we need your forgiveness. But praise be to God, that's why you came, to wash us and cleanse us. And so we right here humbly are not going to be Peter. We do not want to refuse your cleansing, but instead we recognize we desperately need your cleansing. But you came to us to offer that cleansing. And so we humbly accept the grace that you have given us that we have not earned and have not deserved and we trust in you and then we recognize that that is sufficient for salvation, that when we put our faith and trust in you, that there is no other name under heaven in which one might be saved except for you, Jesus, because you're the only sufficient Savior. So we submit to you today and we put our faith and trust in you and I pray that if there's someone in here that does not know you, that today they would see how much you love them and that they would be so captivated by that love that they would just surrender in faith to you, that they too would allow you to cleanse them of all their sins. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can email us at info at newhopeny.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for those outlets is New Hope NYC. Our website is www.newhopeny.org. If you are in the New York City area, we have 4 p.m. worship gatherings on Sundays at 164-2 Goffles Avenue in Jamaica, Queens. We're praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.